listener production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. Katrina Blower is here with you and one of the biggest stories of the year and this is going to be in the news day after day because it affects everyone. It affects all of your bills, your salary, your mortgage, the rates you get on your savings, it affects your rent and of course, Tom, it affects house prices. Yeah, we're talking about inflation and in particular the fight to bring it down, a fight which could throw the world, including Australia, into recession this year. The word we're looking into today sums up these strange economic dynamics. It's stagflation. And it hasn't really been talked about much since the 1970s. So we're going to explain what stagflation means in this episode and see what the hints in the history books tell us about the next chapter that we're about to face in these scary economic times. That is our briefing topic. But first, here are the big stories of the day. It is Wednesday, January 18. Novak Djokovic has finally returned to centre court for his first Oz Open match since last year's deportation, and this is the reception he got. Djokovic. Yeah, how about that? It was a very warm welcome to what he said is his favourite court in the world. He won in straight sets, and that came after play stopped for three hours yesterday when temperatures got over 35 degrees. It's hard to play in conditions like that, Tom, but what a response to Djokovic. Yeah, I think if he had to face the general public, there might be a few more boos in the mix. But in front of tennis fans, it sounded absolutely unanimous. Apparently, there's one heckler that called him a wanker before the first point. But apart from that, it was a, <laughs> a very warm welcome, which I think is good to see given what he's been through and, and the way he handled it. So he'll be wanting to win the title. He's won it nine times already. It is his favourite tournament. So if he goes to 10, he'll level up with Nadal on 22 total Grand Slams. So there's big drama for the goats of tennis. And Russian and Belarusian flags have also been banned from the stadiums after fans held up a Russian flag yesterday during a match between a Russian and a Ukrainian player. And the Belarusian fifth seed said she respected Tennis Australia's decision and said that, look, if everyone feels better about it, then that's fine with her. Yeah, and the Ukrainian ambassador said that this ban should have been in place from the start, but it wasn't. It is now. They said it was traumatising for a Ukrainian player to have to look at the Russian flag during a match. Intimidating, they said. So they've made a clear decision on that one now. And China's economy has slowed dramatically. It's posted one of its worst results in 50 years, falling from a GDP growth rate of 8% in 2021 to 3% last year. And China's population has also fallen for the first time in 60 years, down by about 850,000 net people. And there's also some bad news for the Russian economy with President Vladimir Putin admitting their economy shrank 2.5% last year. Uh, he said it's performing better than expected thanks to a strong harvest. And despite sanctions levelled against his country over the war in Ukraine, Putin says the sanctions have rebounded against the West by driving up inflation and energy prices. Well, look, that's definitely happened. But mm. yeah, due to a whole range of other factors, too. Yeah, it has been a problem though. And so the West, you know, including Australia, is paying a price for those sanctions on Russia. In local economic news, wages are growing at their fastest rate in almost a decade. Treasury says pay packets are going up by 3.1%, but that's still way behind inflation, which is around 7%. So wages are still going backwards in real terms. 
And two big names have passed away in the last 24 hours. Renee Geyer, the singer described as Australia's Queen of Soul, died in a Victorian hospital. She was just 69 years old, so she had some complications following hip surgery. Just a month ago, she was still performing to a full house. She was mega in her day. She performed with musicians all over the world, including Sting. Yeah, and another sad death. Senator and former Major General of the Army, Jim Molan, has passed away. All of my colleagues will be grieving today. The Liberal family around the country uh, has lost a great friend and a great man of our party. Yeah, I think the military community will be as well. That was Peter Dutton, the opposition leader. So Jim Molan was 72 and he was battling prostate cancer. He had four children um, and left his wife behind as well. So sad story there. 40 years in the military, he was also a volunteer firefighter and then got into politics. So mm. not everyone will agree with his politics in the last few years of his life, but an, an incredible life of public service. And an Australian surfing and diving instructor has avoided the death penalty for smuggling drugs in Bali. So 52-year-old Geoffrey Welton was arrested back in September. He was caught bringing in 8 grams of heroin and 0.3 grams of meth on a flight from Vietnam. But this is, I guess, a rare case of Balinese leniency. The Indonesian court recognised the WA man as an addict and not a smuggler, and they instead handed him eight months in rehab. Yeah, what an incredible relief because we we know the the other way that can go, those courts can be so tough on drug crimes mm. um, in Indonesia. So good news for Jeffrey Welton. All right, in a moment we're talking about stagflation. So Katrina, is there a reason you're wearing flares today? Is it just to fit in with the the topic we're about to talk about? <laughs> Pure coincidence. I have to tell you, but it is hilarious that I am wearing flares because we are going back to the 70s to understand stagflation. Yeah, so the word was used a lot back then um, and it's a useful term to get your head around now because it helps explain the strange economic dynamics that we're facing. Richard Holden is the Professor of Economics at the University of New South Wales and he joins us on The Briefing now. Richard, thank you so much for joining us. What is the basic definition of stagflation? So it comes from combining two words, stagnation and inflation. So it was born out of the experience um, in a lot of advanced economies, Australia, the US, the UK and others in the late 1970s where there was um, high unemployment or and recession, so stagnation, but also high inflation. And for a long time, the prevailing economic orthodoxy was that couldn't really happen at the same time. The idea was there was a kind of stable relationship between interest rates and unemployment. And so if unemployment got too high, you just lowered interest rates and everything took care of itself. And then it was this sort of unexpected moment in the late 70s, and that's where it was born out of. Okay, so it was a weird time economically, so it kind of needed its own brand new word. It was a new phenomenon. That obviously implies that it's not now. So how similar are the economic conditions we're facing now to what happened in the 70s? It's a great question. I think at a surface level, they seem pretty similar, which is we've gone for a really long period with very low inflation being under control. And so people aren't used to seeing inflation rates at like five, six, seven percent as we're seeing, or even just tipping into the double digits in the US last year. Um, and at the same time, 
even though unemployment's really low at the moment, it's like three and a half percent in Australia, about the same in the US, people are sort of talking about, wow, there could be a recession this year, pretty reasonable chance of that. And so I think people sort of see the two things and go, hmm, there's inflation back again. And now there could be this stagnation thing. There could be a recession. Maybe it's the same sort of thing as the 70s. But I think that's kind of where the similarity ends in many ways. Okay, so part of the problem in the 70s was that it caught policymakers off guard. Are we more onto it this time, do you think? The fact that we're even having this conversation means that, I guess, we're learning some lessons from the past. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So I think, you know, you, you hit you hit it right on the head there, which is it caught policymakers off guard. So the prevailing economic orthodoxy wasn't just we don't know what to do about this, but mm. this can't happen. And so people were like, what on earth do we do? And it was a really important kind of moment in economic history, which was Paul Volcker was appointed chair of the Federal Reserve in the US in 1979. And he did did something that um, was very challenging. And he said, we've got to kill inflation. We've got to knock it on the head. And the way you do that is you show just like massive determination, use overwhelming force. And he came out and said, I'm going to raise interest rates as high as they need to go to knock inflation on the head. I don't care how big a recession it causes in the short term. we got to suck up the short-term pain to make things right in the long term. And he did that. He increased interest rates to 20% in the United wow. States right around 1980. And inflation, which had been running at like 12 13% when he took over, really quickly came down into the sort of 2 to 3% range. And for a lot of time since then, stayed at a very manageable level. And what they really picked up on was what was missing from the sort of economic theory at the time, which was if people expect you to exploit this seemingly stable relationship between unemployment and inflation, then they're going to think about that and say, well, I know what's going to happen with pumping a bunch of money into the economy, keeping interest rates low. And so why would I expect inflation not to depend on interest rates? And so once people's expectations kind of like got unmoored from it being, well, there's going to be low inflation, what you saw in the US and in Australia at the time were these so-called wage price spirals where people say, well, inflation's like, you know, 7%. I don't want my purchasing power to go down. So I, I want a, like an 8% wage rise. And then the people who are paying the folks say, well, i got to put my prices up because I can't afford to be paying people 8% more and keep prices low. And it becomes this self sustaining phenomenon. And that's what really changed, which was Volcker kind of broke those expectations and made people believe that inflation was going to be low. So how painful was that? Obviously, 20% interest rates now would send a lot of us broke. We'd have to sell our houses at a massive loss. We'd be absolutely screwed. So how painful was it then? How long did it take to get it under control? And what does that tell us about the situation we're facing now? Yeah, it was really painful. There are a few reasons to believe that we wouldn't have to go as high now. <laughs> Firstly, Good. thankfully, right? Firstly, policymakers and the general public understand that if they, you just really show the determination, the commitment, you don't actually have to follow through on it because they've seen this movie before. So they understand what happened in the US in the late 70s. They understand what happened in Australia in the early 90s. And so as long as you believe that the policymakers are going to follow through, then they don't have to kind of prove their mettle as much. They can just say, look at what we did before. We're willing to do that. We don't want to, but we will, and people will largely believe them. Second thing is, you know, Australians are just a lot more indebted 
than we were before. So small increases in interest rates have a really big effect when everyone's got a mortgage where they're levered up to their eyeballs and have so much household debt. And Australians have some of the highest rates of household debt in the world and the highest in the history of Australia. So policymakers can inflict a lot more pain with, you know, smaller interest rate rises and therefore get the effect that they want. What I don't get though, and this is maybe a dumb question, is that we had all those hikes before Christmas and then we had record Christmas spending. And I'm thinking to myself, (laughs) we've got this cost of living squeeze. What is going on? And why then with all these interest rate rises, why is inflation still so high? And also why are we talking about more interest rate rises to come? Is there something bigger at play other than just household spending? Yeah, it's a really important point. No one wants to have a crappy Christmas and crappy Christmas holiday and summer holiday. And so there's a temptation to be like, oh, if we can possibly afford it, we're going to splurge. Second thing is these interest rate rises take some time to actually feed in. In Australia, in recent years, nearly half of people have had fixed rate mortgages, but often only fixed for like one, two, three years. And so for a lot of those folks, the interest rate rises started last year they haven't seen their fixed rate mortgages actually increase. They kind of know what's coming. But if people are like, well, I want to have, you know, one more nice Christmas before I really have to (laughs) tighten up the family budget, then there's, I guess it it might not be the greatest piece of financial advice to follow, but I can understand why people do that. So that's why I think we'll see this year with continued tightening of interest rates, people really coming under pressure. And I think that's why Phil Lowe, the governor of the Reserve Bank, has stepped back to these quarter percentage point, 25 basis point increases. So we can sort of see how things go more rather than these 50 or even 75 basis point rises where you sort of use a lot of force and then you have to sort of stop. And that creates a weird message. So funny story, I was getting Thai Sunday before last at the local Thai restaurant and who was there waiting for his order but Philip Lowe. So <laughs> that was he splurging? Was it like you know, well, lots it, of crying tiger and pad thai up to up to his ears, <laughs> or was he showing restraint? Well, he was waiting a bit longer than me, so I didn't get to see his order. Look, it was it's one of the better thai takeaways in in my suburb, but it didn't look too lavish. And I really thought about striking up a chat with him, but I just thought. If everyone with a mortgage spoke to him whenever they saw him in public, his life would be hell. So I left him alone, despite the fact I'm fuming about the guidance that informed a very big financial decision that I made. Uh, Anyway. Well, that was a big mistake, that Ford guidance. And I think, you know, he's going to wear that one for a long time, but uh, we are where we are now. Yeah. So you talked about the messages that central bankers like Philip Lowe have to send, and you sort of implied that they, they talk tough. So the public think that they'll go really hard and then maybe they don't have to. So is that a bit of an insight into how we should read the messages that that come from the bank where they say, we'll probably keep pushing up rates in, in 2023, even though we all know that they've, they've gone so hard, it's a record rate hike cycle already. And that a lot of people aren't coming off these fixed rate loans until mid year, as you, as you talked about before. So How do we read between the lines on what they're going to do next and how things will play out from here? Yeah. So economists talk about the kind of natural rate of interest or the neutral rate of interest. And and you can think about that as the level of official interest rates where inflation's not going to go up and not going to go down. So it's kind of like 
balance between the forces that the RBA is trying to juggle. And nobody really knows what that number is, but the Reserve Bank thinks it's it's around about three to three and a half percent cash rate. So you can think of maybe the RBA cash rate at three and a half percent. So mortgage rates maybe are like five and a half, five and a quarter, five and a half percent as being kind of like the back to the normal level, ordinary course of business. So we're really only just getting back to like steady state. But is that true given the increase in household debt? Is that still the right level to consider a a neutral rate? Yeah, I think it is the right level. People used to think that, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, people thought that number instead of being, say, 3.5% was maybe like 5 or even five and a half. So where to from here? What do you reckon? What can we learn from the past as we look to the future? Yeah, and more specifically, how many more rate rises and how much will that (laughs) damage? Specifically. (laughs) Damage people's lives. I would suggest that you'll see 25 basis point rate rises for the first few months of this year. The first board meeting for the RBAs in February. My guess, best guess is you'll see 25 basis point rises through to about May and then probably some kind of reassessment as you see some of these mortgages changing over, rates really inflicting a lot of pain, some new inflation data coming in. But, you know, the latest inflation number was pretty large and so I can't see the RBA taking their their foot off the the interest rate pedal just yet. You know, there's no sugarcoating it. It's going to be painful. Recession? I'd say it's probably like four chances in 10 that we have a recession in Australia and higher elsewhere in the world. I think the fact that China is has given up on the zero COVID policy is going to sort of help unblock supply chains and probably increase growth in China. That could really help us. I think we, can, we might squeeze by and miss a recession. I think if you look at it on a per capita basis, if you look at GDP per capita, that'll be negative. So we'll probably have a kind of per capita recession, maybe not a, a technical overall recession. That was Richard Holden, Professor of Economics at the University of New South Wales. And yeah, for people closely watching the economy, it's going to be edge of your seat kind of stuff this year, I think, Katrina. How far the Reserve Bank go with their rate rises, how much real pain that inflicts on people and whether we end up getting dragged into a recession. Um, Looks very likely, and, and on some metrics, the UK is already in recession. Um, very likely the US will go into recession. Richard guess that we're sort of four out of 10 chance of going into recession here as well. And then, yeah, there'll be the personal fallout from that and also the the political fallout as well. My fear is all the debt that people got themselves in towards the end of last year and over Christmas. I was doing so many stories over Christmas on spending, that record amount of spending and just seeing people, you know, who didn't seem to have a huge amount of money just with their trolleys piled full of gifts and putting it on credit and with those interest rates starting to bite those fixed mortgages ending, it makes me really scared for how people are going to cope this year. All right. Thank you so much for listening to The Briefing. If you're enjoying it, tell your friends about it and also subscribe in whichever app you're listening to us from. Tomorrow on The Briefing, all the detail and all the drama from China's COVID chaos. Listener.